Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We get into some basketball. We always uh, find some other uh, fun and entertaining topics for you alongside Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. It is great to have you with us. Hope everybody's having a great summer. Chris, what's going on with you? Uh, you know, same old. Started uh, working on Blue Ribbon. I've actually interviewed 20 coaches, and I've written eight of my 27 stories. So I've been busy, but probably not quite as busy as you. <laughs> Since last we met on this podcast, uh, it hadn't been officially announced, but I'm proud to say that you are now officially the radio voice of the Vanderbilt Commodores. You're sideline reporter for football, right? and you do baseball on TV. You're just a man of, of, of many hats. Yeah, Chris, uh, it was a great honor, and uh, I appreciate you saying that. It was funny. Uh, all that was announced as we were in the air between Nashville and Omaha flying out there for the College World Series a few weeks ago. And, uh, yes, I'll, I'll, along with uh, Andrew Allegretta, we're going to be uh, kind of splitting up the roles. Um, he'll do play-by-play for uh, for football on radio and, and uh, baseball on radio. I will do basketball on radio and, and baseball on TV, and we'll kind of split up some of the other things. But uh, a lot of fun content uh, coming up, we're going to do uh, do podcasts and interviews and a lot of social media content and that sort of thing. So uh, uh, I, I'm very, very pleased and happy that it uh, has turned out the way that it did and uh, re- really looking forward to uh, to what's ahead. So I, I appreciate that very much. And, uh, yeah, it has been an, an interesting uh, few weeks. I spent 16 days in Omaha with Vanderbilt's baseball team at the uh, College World Series made it within one win of winning a national championship. Uh, Mississippi State won. And after watching them play a couple games early in the tournament, uh, it was pretty clear to, I think, most people who watched the Mississippi State look like the best team out there. And, and it turned out to be that way. They, they were awesome. But uh, really happy for Vanderbilt and for our guys and uh, Coach Corbin and everybody uh, making as far as the, the team did had some draft picks in the last couple days, including uh, Jack Leiter and Kamar Rocker going in the uh, first 10 picks. So a special group and a special program to be part of. But, uh, yeah, for uh, for 16 days, I was in Omaha, Nebraska. I I did everything I think you can possibly do in Omaha. I went to the zoo. Um, I went, they had the old Rosenblatt stadium site in the parking lot of the zoo there. Um, I even drove up to South Dakota one day uh, when we had an off day, I rented a car and went to the, one of the, uh, the seven states that I had not visited. So I went there and uh, walked all oh. over Omaha. I walked to Iowa almost every morning. There's a little bridge that went across the river. So uh, it was a really fun time and a, and a neat experience. I, I don't know that you know that's something uh, you never know when you'll get to do something like that again. But I, I tried to take uh, advantage of it as most I could. That's pretty cool. I, I, near the end of the show, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about comparing and contrasting the entire college world series experience to the final four. Okay. I just can't imagine being stationed somewhere for 16 days (laughs) and that's just the final eight. Right. Yep. So um, uh, I wanted to ask you at the, like I said, at the end of the show, just to sort of compare and contrast that experience. And, you know, I'm not so sure it wouldn't be cool if, if the final four was always at Indianapolis, although I love many of their sites as much as anybody. San Antonio uh, has, has always been a great site to, to visit. Houston has been a good site. Uh, New Orleans is one people Atlanta. would say. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I would I would hate to miss that experience. But, yeah, College World Series is such a great tradition. So later in the show, I, I need to ask you about that stuff. Okay. 
Uh, as far as things going on with college basketball, we should mention our guest today will be Purdue coach Matt Painter. He will be joining us in just a little bit. Uh, he's had some guys that had success uh, in international place. We'll talk to him about that and where the uh, Boilermaker program is. Coming off a, a good year in the Big Ten, uh, they, they finished third. They had a, a nice season, so we'll talk to Coach Painter, and he has a lot coming back. So uh, looking forward to visiting with him here in a few minutes. Uh, really, as far as the news of the day for college basketball, Chris, a lot of the news has been players coming back to college basketball rather than going in the NBA draft. One close to home here in Nashville, uh, Scotty Pippen Jr. is going to return to Vanderbilt, averaged almost 21 points per game and right around five assists per game. Sometimes the uh, best additions are guys that have already been on your roster, and I would say for Jerry Stackhouse's program, that's the case. Uh, you got a few big ones, too, around the nation. Marcus Bagley to Arizona State. Kofi Coburn's coming back to college ball. Now, I don't know if it's going to be at Illinois or somewhere else. Johnny Juzang to UCLA. Uh, Hunter Dickinson to uh, Michigan, among others. Davion Mintz coming back to Kentucky. So you, you got some big names. Those, those aren't the only ones, but you got quite a few. They're going to come back and play more college ball, and that's good for the game. You know, it is, and it really affects the landscape. I, I think, to me, with Johnny Juzang back at UCLA, they would have to be my preseason number one. A lot of people are going with Gonzaga, and that's not a bad pick, but Gonzaga's going to have to rely on some freshmen, whereas UCLA has virtually everyone intact. Plus, they got Miles Johnson, the Rutgers transfer, who averaged – he's a big man who averaged eight boards and two blocks, and – you know, UCLA, that's the one thing they might have lacked was, you know, uh, maybe a, an enforcer in the middle. And now they've got that. Plus, they signed a, a five-star small forward uh, who I, I even wrote this down, uh, if I can find my notes. I, I couldn't believe how highly regarded Peyton Watson is. Yeah. I looked in the 247 Sports Composite. He's the number eight player nationally the number two small forward. So to all that mix, they add Peyton Watson and a great uh, Miles Johnson, one of the more advantageous uh, portal finds, I think. So that was big for them. And Cogburn, wow, that, that can really throw things uh, into a tizzy. Uh, the, the assistant coach that, that recruited him to Illinois, uh, Orlando Antigua, is, is back at Kentucky. And, uh, wow, the rumor is is that he might end up there. Yeah. And if, if that monster ends up at Kentucky, you'd have to seriously consider the Wildcats as a preseason number one. So, And, and as you put in our show notes, uh, Davion Mintz has come back to Kentucky. Th- this is a great note. Uh, good job on this one, dude. The, the first time for Kentucky to return its leading score in 14 years. That is crazy. I, and, and, of course, they've had their usual haul, not only uh, with five-star kids, but in the portal as well. Yeah, Randolph Morris back in 06-07 was the uh, last Kentucky uh, returning leading scorer for that program. So that that was interesting. I, I actually saw that one on ESPN. I can't take full credit for that one myself. <laughs> Chris, our, our guest is here. Uh, he is the head coach of the Purdue Boilermakers, who went 18 and 10, 13 and 6 in the uh, Big Ten last year. He's also four-time Big Ten Coach of the Year. We are uh, thrilled to have him with us, Matt Painter. Coach, how you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Sure, Coach. I, I think it's awesome how you've given your time to USA basketball. It's definitely a cause that Blue Ribbon supports and has helped over the years as much as we could. 
Could you talk about uh, what you've done over the years and, and really kind of what it means to you just to, to help our country establish itself in basketball? Right. You know, obviously it's, um, you know, it's a joy just to, you know, to represent your country in, in, in any capacity. And so like being able to be an assistant for um, a, a team probably 12 years ago and then to coach um, the world university games twice, once in a kind of a all-star team fashion and the other time with Purdue and then to be on the committee, I've been on the committee now for nine to 10 years and um, it, it's, it's, it's fun, you know, more than anything, it's a, it's a basketball only um, opportunity. You get a chance to, to represent, um, you know, your country and uh, you're, you're a very, very small part of it. Um, but, but for me, it's um, you know, I love the game and, you know, love being a part of it. So I feel the other way. I feel fortunate to be a part of it. Like it's not anything like it's a, it's definitely not a burden to me. Like it's, you know, it's an honor and uh, I just appreciate the opportunity I've been given. I always like to keep track of the under 19 team. And it seems like every time I caught a highlight, Jaden Ivey was dealing, d- doing something explosive. Uh, but you had two other kids medal. Uh, right. Tell me about Jaden and, and your two other kids who also won a gold and a bronze. Right. Well, you know, Jaden obviously um, is a very dynamic player. You know, he can make um, a lot of plays in the open court, um, you know, very athletic, you know, defensively. Uh, when it really gets open and, and he gets aggressive, like the more opportunities he can get in space, you know, really help. But I, I think he's going to have a tremendous sophomore year. Um, Caleb first, you, you know, as an incoming freshman, he, he got the opportunity to to compete, to get onto the team and really, you know, just worked really hard, you know, led the trials and rebounding both offensively and defensively, led the trials and most free throw attempts and uh, just really fought his way onto the team. And, um, you know, whenever he got an opportunity, he didn't get as much of an opportunity because when you get those teams and you have 12 guys, it's, it's hard, especially when you got a guy of the caliber of Chet Holmgren in your position. Um, it's hard to get a lot of minutes right there. But whenever his number was called, you know, he was productive and played hard and really helped that team. And then I think, you know, everybody got a, a glimpse of what we know. Um, in Zach Eady and, and, and how good Zach Eady is. And he's he's really coming. And, um, you know, for him to rebound the way he did and, and just be consistent. You know, he, he knows what he can and can't do. And uh, he's very active and he can move for somebody that size, which is rare. And uh, but for your ability to rebound um, the basketball, like obviously he's not going to get the ball as much on that team as he does on our team when he's in the game. Um, because we really make an emphasis when we have great low post players to get them the ball. So um, just, you know, excited for those guys, both making the all tournament and obviously Caleb and, and Jaden getting the gold medal and, and Zach getting the bronze and what gets lost a little bit. And I feel terrible about it was we had another guy in the trials that had hurt his hand and, and couldn't make it. And Trey Kaufman Wren, who's a, is a fabulous player and he would have been right there in the mix um, to compete and to try to get on that team. And so, um, you know, we're excited, you know, we're excited about next year, but we're also, um, understanding that you got to earn things and, you know, it's a process and, you know, we have to have a good rest of the summer and in a good fall preparing for the season. I was going to ask you about your, your team coming back. You got to be pretty uh, fired up about that group. Uh, Travion Williams pulled out of the draft. You got seven players coming back who scored at least five points per game. Uh, you got to like that experience and production you have returning. Yeah, and I think that's the key. I think that's what gets lost a lot in college basketball um, is production. You know, we, we've had some guys that have been productive. We have some young players that your your biggest jump 
normally is, is, is from that freshman to sophomore year. And we were very young. We were the youngest team in our league. I think we were the fourth youngest team in the NCAA tournament. So now we have a lot of freshmen becoming sophomores. And now a couple of those guys, um, you know, get this kind of experience. So just really looking for that jump. And we have, you know, good seniors, you know, Sasha Stefanovic, Eric Hunter, you mentioned Travion Williams. And so, you know, just excited about all of our guys, you know, Isaiah Thompson would be going into his third year. So we have that. Um, it, it, I think people have the experience and the production, good young players, good old players, um, but they don't have the consistency that we have. You know, we're one of four schools uh, that are high major at a 75 high major programs that didn't take a transfer. And uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong, you know, with individual transfers. But when you're trying to bring three high school guys on a team and you're trying to bring four or five transfers on the team at the same time, I think that dynamic's going to be a little bit harder than it is for people that are just, you know, doing it with, with returning players. But the way guys are transferring, you know, coaches are getting put in a real tough spot and it's getting harder and harder to put that ultimate team together. So hopefully, you know, we have the pieces, the experience, um, the production um, to have a great team come February and March. You also uh, you do have a new look to your coaching staff. Terry Johnson coming over from Ohio State. Paul Lusk is right. back. Uh, do you almost have to go through the whole journey of a season together to understand completely how a staff is going to work together? A little bit, yeah. I don't think you get to the the whole season, but I, but I think it's a little bit of a process. Obviously, I've you know, Paul was uh, my assistant at Southern Illinois and then Purdue before he left to go to Missouri State. So he was gone for 10 years. And so I think that piece is a little bit easier. You know, Terry has been on some really good staffs at Ohio State and at Butler with some really good coaches uh, that speak for themselves. I mean, just the experience and that he's had been in two Final Fours, also being in the Big Ten, recruiting in the state of Indiana. And and so I, I think it's it's been a real smooth transition you know, for both of those guys, Brandon Brantley um, has been on my staff now for nine years and played here and has done a great job for us, you know, helping develop our guys and recruiting. And um, so just excited about it. We kept PJ Thompson on staff and a director of uh, player development. And uh, obviously as a former player, he, he understands, you know, how we do things. And so he's, um, you know, being great for our staff. And then we, uh, and, our, and our graduate managers have two former players also in Spike Albrecht and Tommy Luce. So just that, that familiarity, I think, is really good. And that consistency is really good. Even though there's a lot of change, um, there's a lot of familiarity. And I think that helps. Coach, it just seems like yesterday that you were at SIU and then you were the young buck at Purdue. Right. Coach K and Roy Williams hanging it up and all of a sudden you look around and you're an elder statesman. Of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it, it, the years fly by, don't they? Yes, they do. I don't know about being an elder statesman, but um, <laughs> very fortunate and grateful to be the coach at Purdue. I think that's something that I, I'll, I'll never lose in terms of how I feel because I know I was in the right place at the right time. And uh, we, we just – the timing of everything when I came here really worked, even though we struggled for a year or two. Um, the fact that we were able to land Robbie Hummel, Etwan Moore, Jawan Johnson, Chris Kramer, Keaton Grant, kind of that crew right there in two classes. But we also had a start with David Teague and Carl Landry. I think that's the key for people when they take a new job. Like, who do you start with? Like, who can get you going? And those two guys were still in this program, and they both tore their ACL and set out that first year. But then that next year, we went from last to fourth. In, in the Big Ten and got us going. And then those guys that I mentioned before, 
you know, they were freshmen and sophomores and they were able to build with it. And that really gave us an identity in recruiting um, in terms of guys being able to come in and play right away and be able to contribute right away and have success. And then we've been able to take it from there. It hasn't always been smooth sailing because in competition, it's hard. It gets cyclical sometimes, but we've been to 12 out of the past 14 tournaments and uh, just trying to keep it going, but also trying to do better. Also trying to make improvements, not just saying, Hey, this is our way. This is the way we're going to stay with it. You know, trying to, know that the meat and potatoes are probably going to stay pretty consistent, but always try to make some subtle changes, whether that's in recruiting or development or just, you know, your staff. And, you know, you're going to have to adjust probably more than anything here in the next five years with everything that's going on and uh, try to make it a positive, even though there's some things you might not agree with, you know, just try to make things a positive and do the, you know, what, what you can and do what's best for your program and your players. That leads into a question I had about name, image, and likeness. Mm-hmm. You talk about the changes, dealing with the portal, now this. Uh, what do you foresee uh, with something like the name, image, and likeness? Yeah. Well, I, I think, obviously, you know, guys are able to to make money, you know, off their name, image, and likeness. And, you know, and uh, you know, it's here. And, and we're in that space. So, you know, be able to, um, you know, take it all in, listen to the people that are, that are handling it, um, get, get all the information. Um, and the resources for your players so they can have success with it. But I, I look at it no different than, you know, what your priorities are. Um, it's something that you can embrace and have success with, but it shouldn't leapfrog anything. You know, you got your family and you got your religion, you got your academics, you know, you have basketball. And I would always talk about those things and say, if your social life leapfrogs any of those things, then you're probably in trouble. You know, you're probably in trouble. Like if you're having girl issues and you got social issues and that's become more of a priority for you than your academics or your family or your religion or basketball, then you're probably going down the wrong path there. And so that's something that we try to do a lot of preventive work to try to help our guys see the big picture and keep their priorities in check. Why I don't think this is any different. Like this is something that can be, you know, very good for kids and very good for college basketball, but it can't be the most important thing. If you're going to a school and it's an educational decision or a basketball decision and you're making your decision and it, and, and the basis of it is name, image, and likeness, then to me, like you're, you're probably not going to come to Purdue or nor do we want you to come to Purdue. Like you should be coming to Purdue because the education is great because we can help you develop as a person. We can help you develop as a player and reach your goals and name image likeness is just kind of a, a tool in the toolbox, so to speak. And there's nothing wrong with that. Let's embrace that, but let's don't make that the most important thing in the equation because it's not the most important thing in the equation. Your growth as a person and your growth as a player is. Coach Matt Painter is our guest. Before we let you go, you got a nice uh, mural of a Mackey Arena there in the background. How much do you look – I mean, it's one of the great home courts in the game. I've been there. Uh, how much do you look forward to having that crowd back at full throttle this coming season? At least uh, everybody hopes so. Oh, it's, it, it's exciting, man. It makes, it's, makes the hair stand up on your neck, man. You, when you go out there and you, you hear you know, your fans and um, you know, we have some of the best fans and some, you know, maybe the best game day environment in the country. You know, I know we could argue that point through and through, but, you know, maybe we tie with some people, but it, it's, it's an unbelievable environment and we have some very loyal, passionate fans. So like, we're looking forward to it. And um, I think Purdue's the, the best job in the country, especially for me. Um, they, they get it, they understand it, um, but we still have great people, great education. We, we just have a really good balance here. And like I said, I'm grateful to be the coach. 
Matt, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it this morning. All right, guys. Thanks. Appreciate it. That was Purdue coach Matt Painter. Really appreciate the time from uh, Coach Painter joining us from Purdue this morning. And uh, we had a few more things we could have asked him, but hopefully you'll uh, come back and join us again sometime. It was interesting to uh, to read through some of the notes, and you you don't realize you know how long some of these people have been at these places. I mean, he's been at Purdue quite a while now. He has the second most NCAA tournament appearances among Big Ten coaches behind only Tom Izzo. So he's done a terrific job there and. uh uh, they they really played a nice stretch of basketball down the uh, the final stretch of the regular season. They won five straight and, and a Big Ten that was about as tough as it gets. Uh, they they kind of had that little sweet spot of seventy three to seventy five points. It was kind of the the magic number for them. If they could get there, they they would win those games. But got a lot coming back and uh, should be a good squad as we uh, head into the next season here. And we again appreciate Coach Painter joining us and uh, his work with USA Basketball as well. Chris, a few other notes to uh, get to. Penny Hardaway hired Larry Brown to work with him in Memphis. Uh, Hardaway played with Brown when he was with the Knicks. Larry Brown, uh, the well-traveled Larry Brown, uh, the only coach to win an NCAA title and an NBA championship, uh, won with Kansas back in 88 with the Danny Manning team, uh, won the NBA championship with the Pistons and Ben Wallace group uh, back in 2004. So that is a unique distinction and probably a whole lot harder than a lot of people think it is. But, uh, you know, Penny had said that, Larry Brown was a guy he'd always kind of wanted to have on a staff or work with, and now he's going to get that opportunity in Memphis. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, some people just don't want to retire, and I kind of get it. I, I teach at the university level, and it's rejuvenating to be around young people. It really is. And uh, Larry Brown's got some other only coach to do such and such. He's the only coach in NBA history to lead eight different teams to the playoffs. And he's the only coach in NBA history to coach two teams in the same season. That was the Spurs and the Clippers in 91-92. <laughs> Crazy. But he, he's also won an ABA title as a player. Remember the old Oakland Oaks? Yep. 68-69. And he won an Olympic gold medal in 64. So uh, his spot in the Na- Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame was long ago secured. Uh, but if you think about this and penny said he wanted to be around greatness and and coach brown said he wasn't there to reinvent memphis basketball he just wanted to share whatever penny needs from him and this was a great quote from coach brown he says i told penny this can be like georgetown like gonzaga we're not in a power five but this could be anything they want it to be yeah and really when coach cow was there and you know before that obviously uh they they played uh, in the final four when coach Bartow was there. So it's one of those schools that you, you dare not call a mid major. It may not be in a power five or six, but uh, I think Larry Brown has got some juice in the tank and maybe take them over the top. Yeah. When I think about Memphis, like I think back to the old Memphis state days, like when, when Dana Kirk was coach, uh, we, we lived in Louisville when I was a kid and Louisville and Memphis were huge rivals back in the old Metro Conference. I mean, that was the rivalry in that league. So it was always a huge deal when those two teams would face off. And uh, I remember one time they did this TV show on Bill Dance Outdoors. You know, Bill Dance, the famous fisherman. Uh, They had Denny Crum and Dana Kirk fishing from the same boat. And Bill Dance wore a referee shirt and was in the middle. And it it was hilarious to watch. I remember seeing that episode back in the day. But that – 
Tennessee hat. Yeah, he always wore the Tennessee hat. Bill Dance did. That, that's exactly right. But uh, that, that was, I remember that from back when. But, yeah, they had some great teams. Of course, they had that uh, the Final Four team in 85 and, and going back way before that, you know, back in the uh, in the 70s, uh, had a Final Four team there too. So, yeah, that that's a program with uh, a lot of tradition, and uh, we'll see how Penny Hardaway and Larry Brown uh, fare coaching together now, as uh, Penny had said that he would hope that that would uh, take place at some point. You know, you talked about the ABA. Did you ever go to an ABA game back in the day? You know, I never went, but I was an avid fan. And I can actually lay claim to this. Everybody, uh, a gentleman of a certain age, says that they saw Dr. Jay's dunk in the ABA All-Star game when he took off from the free throw line. Uh But there can't have been that many people that saw it because, (laughs) I'm sorry, but the ABA ratings weren't that high. (laughs) I actually did see it live, and man, it was it was awesome to watch. I'll never forget that, and I'll never forget the one year I used to cover golf, as you know. And the one year I got, uh, I was covering the Masters. I got picked to play Augusta National on the Monday after the tournament, and I was hitting balls, and somebody uh, sets down some clubs and drops some range balls next to me, and I look up. And it's Julius Irving. Is that right? Like, I proceeded to shank the next couple of balls. <laughs> I'm like, this is the doctor, man. I need to ask him about that dunk in the ABA game. But wait a second. Maybe he'll be insulted if I ask him about the ABA. Maybe I should ask him about the faux, faux, faux teams with, uh, with the 76ers. I ended up not asking him about anything. <laughs> that in reference to uh, Daryl Dawkins and Moses Malone and uh, those teams back in the day. Yeah, they, exactly. Uh, but, <laughs> so, so you went all like you went all ten cup with uh, Doctor J, like right there next to you on the range. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, in Saturday Night Live, uh, where you, you go up to a, a celebrity and you say, "Remember that?" And then they say, "Yeah." That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> the Chris Farley show. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I actually went to an ABA game when I was a kid. That, I believe that was the first sporting event I ever went to. I went to a, a Kentucky Colonels game at, at Freedom Hall in Louisville. And uh, the only thing I remember about that game was seeing Muhammad Ali. I, th- I think they brought him out there. It was, it was probably around the time, like, he was having those fights with uh, Joe Frazier in the 70s. And I remember they wow. just, like, brought him out and waved. That's the only thing I remember about that game. But that was – that was a long, long time ago. I always sort of wanted to get a, a Kentucky Colonels T-shirt to uh, to have. They they sell those online. You can find them. There was a great book. If if our listeners have have never heard of it or want to get, read about the the ABA, it's called Loose Balls, uh-huh. written by Terry Pluto, an, an excellent basketball writer. And it is an absolute hoot that goes in depth to that league. Uh, I know it's not college hoops. This is a college hoops podcast, but. If you want some entertaining basketball reading, pick up Terry Pluto's sure. Loose Balls. It's still in print. I have a copy. You can see it on my camera, <laughs> which you can't see in our podcast, but it's on my shelf. Chris, uh, it's never too early or too late for Joe Lenardi to do a, uh, a bracket. I know he's been doing it throughout the offseason. It's a lot to keep up with, with all the, the players shuffling around. What, what stands out to you about his uh, latest grouping of teams? Well, he's got UCLA as a number one seed, uh, which I doubt he would have if Johnny Juzang hadn't come back, as we alluded to in the, in the, at the beginning of the show. Gonzaga is his others, other number one seed, along with Kansas and Michigan. Now, big, big deals there. Um, 
Michigan, obviously, Hunter Dickinson came back. Kansas raided the portal and got two great quality guards that are going to help them uh, be, be a much better team than a year ago. So, uh, yeah, uh, Joe is always on it. You know, you, you've got to keep an eye on this portal. Uh, luckily, the, the NCAA, and I say luckily for the purpose of putting together my our Blue Ribbon book, July 1 was the last date that somebody could transfer without the sit-out penalty. Right. So Joe has taken all this plus the NBA's deadline into account. and He comes up with Gonzaga, Kansas, Michigan, and UCLA. Those are his number one seeds. Chris, you asked me way back at the start of the show uh, about comparing the College World Series to the Final Four. Uh, you and I have been to, to Final Fours. You've been to way more of them than I have. I've been been a few times. I've uh, been to a couple championship games and a Final Four in Indianapolis. Uh, been to the College World Series a couple times. To me, they're very, in, in a lot of ways, they are very similar events. Now, I know the College World Series has eight teams versus the four in college basketball, but to me, getting to the College World Series, no matter how it goes once you're there, whether you, you win the whole thing or you go two and Q, as the saying goes, it, it's you can consider your season a success. And I always look at the final four that way too. If you can make it to the final four, whether you win the championship or you flame out in the semifinals, you can hang a banner in your arena and say that your season was a success. So I think from that standpoint, they are very similar. And I think, and I thought about this when Vanderbilt was playing in the super regionals against ECU. And I had had this thought before that that's the dividing line, but in terms of how you feel about your season, the gap between making the Super Regionals and making it to Omaha is as big as the Grand Canyon. Same thing in yeah. college basketball. To me, the regional final is the hardest game to win in the entire tournament. You can say you're an Elite Eight team. That's really good if you're a good program. Or, you know, if you're a team that made a great run and got there, that's awesome. But, you know, if you really feel like you're a national contender and a Final Four contender year in and year out, there's a gigantic difference between making the Elite Eight and making it to the Final Four. So I think in that that regard, as far as for the teams, it is very similar. As far as the sites go, I, I thought for years in Indianapolis would be a good permanent site for the Final Four. When you say Omaha around college baseball, everybody knows what you're referring to, and that's the goal for every team. If you said, you know, we're, we're, we're looking toward Indianapolis, everybody would know, you know, what you're talking about for college hoops. It's the perfect setting. They, Lucas Oil Stadium is an awesome venue to have it. Um, you know, it, it's kind of centrally located there in the downtown where you can, you know, you have a lot of hotels and people can mingle around and all that stuff. I, th- I think from that perspective, too, it's, it's a good site. But um, I, I think it would lose a little bit in that, you know, some of those cities you talked about are great places to have it. Sure. Some, some places aren't quite as good places to have it. In Indiana, everybody loves basketball. That's the thing. Um, but, you know, in terms of comparing college baseball's World Series and college basketball's Final Four, I, I felt – especially from being there for that long period of time and to see how the city embraces it, I felt like there were a lot of similarities. You know, I had a really interesting chat with uh, Ben Holland at Mississippi State. We talk every summer, and uh, we we both look forward to talking. He always says nice things about Blue Ribbon, and I respect his basketball knowledge. And you're right. For him, that dividing line, he went to three consecutive Final Fours. And you would think, wow, that that's a great thing. But at UCLA, it, it was almost like a negative thing. Yeah, you know, couldn't win the big one. But people just don't understand the fine line that it takes to get to one Final Four, let alone three in a row. Uh, so the point you bring up about 
that the regional final and the and, and that 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 deep cavernous gap between the final four makes a lot of sense and and uh ben you know ben obviously wishes he'd have won the big one but sure. he's proud to get to have gotten his ucla team to three straight final fours that's going to be hard to duplicate uh in 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 this landscape i guess you know gonzaga's got a chance and and ucla's got a chance because they're both loaded again but yeah that's going to be a hard one to top he had some excellent teams, and uh, they put a whole bunch of guys in the NBA off those uh, three squads that made it to the uh, three straight Final Fours. But I, I did think uh, I wanted to go back to your your question from earlier. That, that was a good comparison, uh, Omaha to the uh, to the uh, college basketball Final Four. And again, it was a cool experience to be part of. Now I'm back home, and uh, I'm making my way down the list of chores that I missed during my uh, 16 days away. Yeah, it's hard to believe, man. <laughs> the, the first. The, the first order of business, I had to fix the kitchen sink. So that, that involved uh, taking apart the drain and putting in, you know, the uh, new seal and all that stuff. And now I'm working on I'm working on the driveway now. Um, I, I'm power washing. I'm going to reseal the driveway. Uh, power washing is a lot less fun than it seems like it would be. And, and your arm feels like it's going to fall off after a couple hours of that. So I go out there and work out in a couple hours a day and, about the sealer stuff, so I'm going to put that on the driveway. So we'll, we'll give you an update. When next time we do our podcast, I might have it done by then. We'll give you an update next time. You know, you know how I handle that stuff? Yeah, with your checkbook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sure do. Um, you know, I, I just think it's great. I, I, I don't want to – I know you're a, a, an unassuming person, but – for you and for the announcement and for us to finally be able to talk about you being the guy for Vanderbilt basketball, man, that's so great. And I don't think it could have happened to a more deserving person. Uh, you know, we've known one another and have done shows together for more years than I care to remember. But uh, I think you, you paid your dues to be where you're at, man. You didn't back into that gig. So really good on you. Well, thanks a lot, Chris, and uh, I appreciate that and appreciate all your help and support, and uh, it's, it's certainly been an interesting year for me, and the support and friendship of you and just helping me out with you know being able to do a little extra work with Blue Ribbon or whatever it's been, and us doing this podcast, it it, it really helped keep me going over uh, what, what wasn't always a very easy stretch of time. Um, and, and as far as you know, getting the, the basketball job with Vanderbilt, I, as a person – who grew up dreaming of college basketball in the sec that it's really, really special to have that opportunity. So I appreciate you saying that and uh, looking forward to what's ahead and uh, looking forward to what's ahead with our, our podcasts. We'll keep doing this for sure. And so uh, well, we're going to we keep, keep rolling uh, with this. I got to mention that too. Uh, our podcast was a selling point for you. When you <laughs> yes. I'm really glad we're going to get to continue this and, uh, and and I'll tell you what, if if, if it would have stopped dead in its tracks after you got the Vandy job, I would have hated it, but I'd have been so happy for you. So uh, I'm just glad we can uh, get our cake and eat it too. Absolutely. Chris, thanks as always, man. All right, buddy. Take care. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We will talk to you next time.